He was thought of as the central figure of 19th century Ukrainian music, and though he wrote operas and operettas and more, Mykola Lysenko was, we're told, most devoted to composing art songs, and he had a real fondness for setting the poems of Taras Shevchenko. This is just one poem titled Days Pass. We learn that for advocating a free Ukraine, Shevchenko was exiled by the Russian Tsar. Forbidden to write and paint in his exile, the poet laments his fate here and the dullness of the passing time, so days pass. At the same time, rebuking his fellow countrymen in Ukraine for, quote, sleeping in freedom in the face of foreign oppressors. We're hearing Paul Plischke before his retirement as the leading bass at the Metropolitan Opera in New York. Plischke chose to record this album of songs of Ukraine as his first solo album. Paul Plischke is a native of Old Forge here in northeastern Pennsylvania, and his path crossed over the years with another opera professional with ties to this region. George Martinuk was born while his parents were in flight from Ukraine. In the course of his career, he wowed the brash publicist and artist manager Herbert Breslin in New York and joined his firm. Martinuk went on to establish his own artist management agency, George M. Martinuk Incorporated, with a long list of distinguished singers, including Paul Plischke. As we'll hear, Martinuk is passionate about his Ukrainian heritage. He is passionate about singing. He is passionate especially about opera. And it's as if there is no separation at all. George Martinuk divides his time between New York and his home here in northeastern Pennsylvania, which he shares with Rosemary Mussolino, his wife, an operatic soprano, a native of Archbold. George Martinuk paid a visit to the WVIA studios to talk with us about all of his passions. And we start at the very beginning, as Julie Andrews once sang. I was born in the Tyrolean Alps of Austria, where they yodel. No, I don't know how to yodel. If you don't know the Tyrolean Alps of Austria, if you know the movie Sound of Music, there she is in the beginning. She stands up there spinning and on the mountain. The hills are alive with a sound of music. Right? That's it. That's where I was born. And the reason I was born there is because my mother and father, Mikola and Stefania, were running from the Russians. We're always running from the Russians. And that's a simple fact. This was late 50s, 
and my father made a decision, uh, we can't live here in Ukraine. They love Ukraine, but they basically said, we can't live here. And they ran, and they ran through Germany, through Austria. I popped out in Austria, <laughs> kept going. And then we ended up here in Philadelphia, where my parents had a sponsor. And that's how we began our lives in the United States. Your family was running from the Russians, even... Even, uh, even it, look, nothing has changed. Not one single thing has changed. And again, what is it about freedom? I can do what I want to do. Don't tell me that I'm not going to do it. I am a Cossack, and don't tell me. Tell us the words of the anthem that say just those words. Well, I don't know the words of the entire anthem, but the anthem was uh, written a long time ago by a guy called Pavlo Trubinsky in 1862. It's a military anthem, just like the United States. You know, bombs bursting in air and all, that's a military anthem. Like the French Marseillaise, that's a military uh, anthem. But I'll tell you, I'll sing it for you. There's a line that, that will tell you exactly what you watch on TV every single day. Our bodies and our souls, we will lay down for our freedom. And we will show the world that we indeed are the brethren of the freedom-loving, independent Cossack nation. That's the whole thing. That's what we're seeing every single day. They are laying down their bodies for that. And they will. They will fight to the end. That's why Putin will lose. You know, but it's going to cost. What does music mean in the Ukrainian culture? Is it part of the soul music? Music is part of Ukraine. There is no nation on, on the planet that has many, as many folk songs as Ukraine does. Thousands of folk songs. I, I'm not kidding, thousands. I mean, it's very funny. You know, there's a saying, two Ukrainians are a couple, three are an argument, four are a choir. There are more choirs. There are folk choirs. There are girl choirs, male choirs. There are classical choirs. Every church in every little village has a choir has a choir and we sing Tchaikovsky, we sing Rimsky-Korsakov. Our liturgies are written by the same geniuses that wrote the operas and the symphonies. Absolutely, this is unbelievable music. I mean, there's a little church in Oliphant. Oliphant is a tiny little town. It's St. Cyril's. It's a Ukrainian Catholic church. When my, when my parents came to this area, my father was the music director there for 45 years. He was a teacher there. He, he taught Ukrainian dance. He taught Ukrainian history. You know, they're all the masses, uh, you know, as a cantor. And then he had the choir. Of course, at that time, he had a huge choir, 40 people, 40 young, wonderful people. And by the time I was in college, by the time I was a freshman, he said, sure, in the choir, kid, that's the end of it. And to this day, this is a long time ago. This is 30 years ago. That church still has my father's choir. Now, my father's dead, of course, and my mother's dead. And we sing, we sing in church Slavonic as written, come scritto, according to Riccardo Muti. That way it's written, and don't change a note. This is not dry, oh my God, I'm going to church. No, every time I go to church and I sing in the choir, I say to myself, this is opera. How does opera figure? Because we see the preparation to save the Odessa Opera Theater. What does it mean? 
Oh my God! Well, you know, Ukraine has several opera houses, and I mean, these opera houses were were created by by Italian masters. I mean, they went to Italy. They said, "We need the architect. You know, come over here. Give give us your opera house and all that." I mean, these opera houses are first of all gems. They're artistic gems. They're beautiful. They are they're acoustically perfect, and they've been standing there for a very long time. But because uh, Ukrainians sing, uh, an amazing thing happened. I'll tell you when the Soviet Union came in and the Iron Curtain came down and it blocked Ukraine and all of Eastern Europe, Ukraine, Bulgaria, and all those countries and all that. It was a terrible thing on the one hand. There was one good thing that happened, and that is that the decline in the West, operatic decline, vocal decline in the West, didn't sleep over to the other side. It didn't make it over the Iron Curtain. So when the Iron Curtain came down with Reagan, Gorbachev, even Pope John Paul, I mean, when that came out, all of a sudden, these singers, thousands of them said, we can go across and we can go to New York. And the answer was, yeah, you can. The Metropolitan Opera is now, their, their entire lead, lead soloists are primarily Eastern European. They are Ukrainian. They are Russian. They are Bulgarian. They are Latvian. It's astounding. One of the tenors that I've worked with is Marcello Giordani, a big a Sicilian tenor sang at Metropolitan Opera. He's dead. He just died recently. A couple of years ago, he was doing Tosca. He had a run of like 15 performances. And he had three sopranos to sing Tosca, and each one of them was a Ukrainian. What's the training? What's the difference? The training is, you know, the training is not mechanical. It's not, they didn't get into the Ukrainians behind the Iron Curtain. They didn't have the disadvantages of media and, and things like that getting involved. It was basically the same way as when, as when Verdi, in Verdi's day, the, the sopranos and, and the tenors and the baritones were educated. It's vocal time and you will take care of your voice. You will travel nowhere. You, you don't travel. You have to reserve and, and preserve your gifts, preserve your space, and, and your vocal power and all this kind of stuff. And it stayed with them. So once the curtain came down, it was amazing. It was a flood. And, and American, believe me, and, and a lot of American singers would, hey, what the hell is this? You know, like we're being swallowed, but it's the same thing. It's, you know, this is one of the things about opera that is so incredible. It is one of the few true, pure forms. Talent comes first. Voice comes first. We actually don't care what country you're from. We don't care what your color is. I don't care if you're black, green, or blue. You know, look at me. I'm not an opera singer. That's not a bad, that's not a pretty good voice. Did you have training? No, never. I was born with this. I was born with it. Every Ukrainian is born. My father was, my father, you know, when they came over, my father, first of all, they're highly educated. Ukrainians are extremely well-educated. My, my mother and father knew opera, symphony. I mean, that's how I, as a kid, I would listen, I would have to listen to it. I didn't have any choice. Mario Lanza screaming in the, in the house and all that. And I would, I would drive my parents crazy as a little kid. I would howl like a dog. And my, my father, very smartly, he said, I know you're like Elvis right now. And I said, I love Elvis. And all that. he said, don't worry about it. We're not going to shove this down your throat because that would be bad. But you'll get it eventually. And I got it eventually. Big time. Who were the ones you fell in love with first? Oh, my. In, it pretty much happened in, uh, I don't know, freshman year in college. There were two singers that absolutely blew me away. One was Franco Corelli, the greatest tenor of all time. Six foot two, Hollywood looks, 
He could diminuendo on a high C. It's unbelievable what kind of power he had in that house, in that voice, the acting ability. Tibaldi used to call him tight legs or something because he always wore tights. And the other one was a black soprano by the name of Leontine Price. And when I heard her, that's when it opened my eyes about everything. You know, talent comes first. I heard that voice and I said to myself, then I started to discover And I discovered over the years at least 25 black sopranos. I mean, come on, there's Jesse Norman, there's Kathy Battle, there's Bumbry, there's Verrett, there it goes on, the list goes on and on. And if you're a vocal fanatic, what are you looking for? Perfection. Vocal perfection. And that's what we that's what we love. That's why at the Metropolitan Opera, 4,000 seats, a symphony orchestra in the pit. No amps, no mics, nothing. It's called stand and deliver, and that's it. So you got the bug. You heard Price and Corelli, and you were... I'm a gaga. <laughs> Your father was right. And how did you get from there to working in the world of opera? Oh, well, I'm in Manhattan, and I, I was working in PR, in public relations, and I, I was a corporate-type guy. I worked for Citibank. I worked for the Turner Corporation. Last job I did was the renovation of the Statue of Liberty. But my friends would always say, you know, Martin, why don't you go in to do what you really love? And, and they kept pushing me. And I read all the magazines, so I really knew my stuff because I, I read all the British magazines, opera news. I read this, that, news, that, news, that, news, and all the kind of stuff. So when the Statue of Liberty job was over, I basically went home. And I cold-dialed a very small agency by the name of Herbert H. Breslin. And the reason I dialed them is because I knew, knew that they had Luciano Pavarotti, the number one tenor on the planet, and that was it. And my first client was Jerry Hadley. He gave me Jerry Hadley right off the bat. And, uh, you know, with the Grammy Awards and all this. Well, he didn't have the Grammy Awards yet, and I was his PR manager and all that. After that, it just skyrocketed uh, to everything and and that, and that, I was in. I was in like Flint. This, again, this is a business where you can't fake it. If I had told Breslin I knew this and this and this and this, and then all of a sudden he found out I didn't know anything, it would have been a boot out the door and that would be the end of it. But no. And Oh, he, he, then he looked at me and he said, he said, I don't know, you're a piece of work. You remind me of me when I was young. <laughs> One day he basically just said, oh, George, come here with a pencil and a paper. And I said, okay, what is it, Herbert? And he said, Write down these names. It was Jerry Hadley, Paul Plishka, Thomas Hampson. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm saying to him, this is the, these are the star list of the Met. He said, yeah, I know. These are your artists. As of now, this is it. See what you can do. And that's how I started. And so what were you responsible for doing? It's called branding. Even in opera, there's a thing called branding. So you, you take a singer who's a singer, and then all of a sudden he's a star. And after he's a star, all of a sudden he's a recording artist. And it's, it's pecking order. Oh, recording artist. I have albums now on RCA, on DECA, on EMI. Oh, my gosh. Look at me. So that's, yeah, that's how you build their careers. And I was very good at it. And I, you know why? I loved it. It was fun. It was great. It fulfilled my need for craziness because the business is crazy. How so? Oh, please. Are you kidding? This is the most high stress business in the world because your entire career depends on two little things that are called vocal cords. They're like little hairs, the size of little hairs. The first thing you wake up in the morning, you know, oh no, I have a cold. Oh, is that a sniffle? That better not be a sniffle. Eight o'clock tonight, I have Tosca at the Met. And then you, 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 you freak out a little bit. 
and then you try to get control again, and then you say, okay, so as Luciano used to say, in the morning I get up and I hum. <laughs> like a bumblebee, right? And then he says, and then I let it go. A couple of hours later, then I open my mouth, you know, so on and so on. And you build up and you build up because you're never really certain that it's there. That's the stress. You know, it's not like a nine-to-five job if you're a teacher or if you're an accountant or any other thing. You know what's going to happen. And if you have a cold, no one cares. You still go to work. So they get up and they have a cold. Do they say, George, what am I going to do? Well, if they're, if they're in trouble, I mean, if they feel they're in trouble, they, call, they, they, they will call me up and they say, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to make this performance tonight. And my job is to say, listen, easy does it. Come on. We all know that you're not a machine, and we are not in the machine business, but you, sir, are a superstar. And you didn't get there by saying, I quit or I am defeated. So I would talk to them, and then I, you know, call me back in, a, in an hour or two hours. And, you know, I suggest some hot tea, a lot of lemon, maybe some, some honey and all this kind of stuff. Come on, get your act together. I mean, do I have to come down and spoon feed you? Right, and all this kind of stuff, and then it would warm up, and by 1 o'clock in the afternoon, he'll call, you know, I'm much better now, of course. You know, but there, there were times when I would have to call the theater, whether it's the Met or anybody else, and say, this is not going to happen. So, But I'll tell you, you know, it's funny. The fastest turnaround I've ever seen for an artist who thought he was sick that couldn't do it is this line. Oh, don't worry about it. We're going to arrange the cover to sing for you. Really? No one could sing for me. Oh, no, I'll be there. Don't you worry about it. I'll be there. And a miracle happens. A psychological miracle happens when all of a sudden everything clears up because I'll be damned if someone's going to sing my Cavaradosi or my Monrico. No, sir. It's me. You know, but that's why this is a crazy business. And, and it takes a certain type of person. You have to have tremendous faith in yourself. You have to have tremendous faith in your gifts. You mentioned Paul Plischke. Tell us about working with him. Plischke is from Old Forge, and as a very young basso, he was very successful at the Met. I mean, they loved him immediately, and they gave him rules and rules, and the, and the rules just grew. And then he became their number one basso for Verdi roles, for the big stuff. Boris Kudinov and really big, big roles and so on and so on. But it took him a little while to understand, interestingly enough, that he was of Ukrainian stock. He didn't know that at first. No, he did not. And I remember that my, my boss uh, at the time, Herbert Breslin, got a phone call from him and said, listen, I, I'd like to uh, I'd like to talk to you and, uh, about public relations and things like that because I've just made a recording and all that. So we had a meeting with him and it was a recording of Ukrainian songs, a CD of Ukrainian songs and all that kind of stuff. He said, he said, finally, I realize who I am. And finally, I understand where I get my gifts from. It is from this country in Eastern Europe called Ukraine. And I said, you know, Paul, Ukraine has many great singers and a lot of great bassos. And he said, I know, I finally found out. And Paul was the, he just recently retired from singing. It's amazing, though, because he was one of the most cool, collected, friendly gentleman singers I have ever known. He did not do what, what the others did, including some of my other singers and me. 
They didn't go around, you know, drinking vodka and this, that, and the other. And he lived very close to the Mets, so his job was in the morning he'd get up, he'd have coffee, then he'd go for the afternoon rehearsal, and he would behave very nicely. He didn't get involved in the craziness, the gossip, the this. You know, arts are wild. I mean, they can get really crazy. Then he'd go home for lunch, and then he'd take a nap, and then he'd go walk back because he had an 8 o'clock performance. And, and eventually I really realized that what a, what a career, what an incredible career, because everyone else, if you wanted an international career, you had to jet everywhere. You're constantly exhausted. You're constantly jet lagged, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And your voice, where does it go? In the voice. And Paul said, you know, I don't have to do that because I sing mostly at the Met. He, he did sing at other places, but he was mostly at the Metropolitan Opera. He said, why should I go anywhere? This is the greatest opera house in the world. The greatest sopranos in the world come to sing here with me. The greatest tenors in the world, Domingo Pavarotti, you know, they come here to sing here with me. So why would I kill myself when it's all here given to me on a golden platter? And I realized then, boy, oh boy, is he right. You know, he got an international sensational career handed to him comfortably. It's the exception rather than the rule. That is totally the exception. You're going to share a recording with us of a Ukrainian singer. Introduce us to him and what we should be listening for when we hear it. I mean, there are many recordings, but there's one. His name is Stefan Piotnichko. He's retired now, but he's one one of my Verdi baritones from Ukraine. This is years ago. I mean, I'm sitting in my office and there's a knock on the door. And I open the door and I go, yes. And he doesn't speak English or anything. So he says, Martinuk. And I said, yes. And he hands me a cassette. There were no CDs then. He handed me a little cassette. He said, you listen? He said, tomorrow, which means I'll come back tomorrow. Right? I put it in my, my player right in the office. And I thought to myself, nah, this isn't real. This is magnificent. I mean, this is, magn- this is a real Verdi baritone. I mean, he's got power. He's got high notes. He's got, he's got splash. He's got everything. He comes and I said, okay, we have to talk. And since I do speak Ukrainian fluently, we had got into a conversation and he became one of my artists and so on and so on. And he sang all over, you know, Europe. And it was amazing. He was singing everywhere. So I have this idea. I said, Stefana, the next step is you're going to have to make a recording. I need a recording of who you are. And he said, of course, of course, Mr. Martinuk, I will give you a recording. So three months passes. We finally meet again. He says, I have the recording. And he gives it to me. And I look at it and I say, what is this? What is these are Ukrainian folk songs? And he looked at me, he said, I know, that's who I am. And I said, I wanted opera arias. I wanted something for, 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 the, for the business. That's how they think. He taught me a lesson of who they are. He gave me an album of incredible Ukrainian songs. Oh, my dear mother, I know that the nights because of me you have not slept. Oh, please, these are, these are, these are Ukrainian songs. They, they are filled with emotion and all that. So, you'll hear what a real Verdi baritone sounds like. Just like when you were singing here in this studio, you were singing from your heart, the anthem. And any time we hear it, whether it be the soldier playing his violin or it's the citizens gathering in the square to sing the anthem, it's not just the words. It's because it's coming from the soles of their feet right up and out. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, I've, I've always said that the best singers that I've ever heard, natural singers for opera, their natural gifts, their vocal, vocal prowess. The peasants are the best singers because it comes from their connection to the earth, to Mother Earth. My Italian soprano is always on the ground digging flowers, planting the... Well, I mean, spring is coming. Believe me, she's got her line up and she's going to be in the mud. And she says, it's not mud, it's earth. Because <laughs> I call it dirt. You know, and she says, it's not dirt, it's earth. And all that. And that's where their power comes from. You know who, who don't make great, really great singers? The aristocracy. They're too high up. They're too removed. You know, I don't, I don't do that. Well, okay, you don't have to do that and all that. But you lose a lot of your power. You know, it comes from earth. It comes from nature. And that comes from God. I, I mean, I watch a lot of the CNN coverage of Ukraine these days and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and while Kiev is being bombed, shelled by, by the Russians, the uh, Kiev Philharmonic is out in the plaza playing. It is music. It gets to your heart and it saves your soul. When last George Martinuk heard, Pyatnichko was in Lviv fighting with his fellow Ukrainians against the Russians. Pyatnichko is singing a song by Taras Shevchenko, the words of Shevchenko. And we learn that Shevchenko, as a poet, was a member of the Brotherhood of Saints Cyril and Methodius, which was a secret society in Kyiv, part of the Russian Empire at the time, which envisioned a Ukrainian national rebirth. But in 1847, the secret police believed him to be the champion of independence, and the poet was convicted for promoting it and for writing in the Ukrainian language. And many composers, including Lysenko, set music by Shevchenko or poems by Shevchenko. My thoughts, my thorny thoughts, my melancholy thoughts, my children, tender shoots, I nursed you, brought you up, and now what shall I do with you? Go to Ukraine, my homeless waifs. Your way make to Ukraine along back roads like vagabonds. But I'm doomed here to stay. There you will find a heart that's true and words of welcome kind. There, honesty, unvarnished truth, and maybe fame you'll find. So welcome them, my motherland, Ukraine, into your home. Accept my guileless, simple brood and take them for your own. Words of the poet Taras Shevchenko 
written in exile in 1839 and translated by John Weir of Toronto. Piotnichko in his album of Songs from Ukraine. We heard the story from George Martinuk. George Martinuk dividing his time between New York City and northeastern Pennsylvania. Martinuk is founder and director of the artist management agency George M. Martinuk, incorporated in New York, featuring a long list of distinguished singers, including Paul Plischke, before his retirement. We had a chance to learn some of the inside stories about what it's like to manage temperamental and oh-so-talented singers and help them form a career, maintain a career, and do what they were meant to do. George Martinuk has a website. The company website is georgemartinuk.com, and that's for more information. George is G-E-O-R-G-E. And Martinuk is spelled M-A-R-T-Y-N-U-K, georgemartinuk.com, and he is the founder and director of the artist management agency George M. Martinuk, Incorporated in New York, and manager of so many important singers in the world of opera over the past decades. Thanks to the Ukrainian Art Song Project and Wikipedia.